السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا وسيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to another lesson of uh, Quranic progression uh, and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue with the tafsir of Surah Al-Ghashiyah. Last week um, we discussed a number of verses concerning the people of Jannah and uh, the week before that we'd already began with the description that Allah gives of the reward of Jannah for the believers on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after mentioning some of the broader points or some of the uh, you know, general categories of reward that the believers will receive on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, just as before that Allah mentioned some of the general punishments, the general categories of punishment that the disbelievers will receive on the Day of Judgment in the Hellfire, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, after mentioning those general rewards for the people of Jannah, in the verses that we discussed last week, Allah gave some detail or he mentioned some of the finer points or some of the finer rewards of Jannah. Those things that show to you the attention to detail as we mentioned last week, that Allah Azza wa has placed in the reward of Jannah. And that is, as we mentioned last week, from a uh, from the point of view of someone who, uh, who, who wants to see the care and the love that is placed into something, you look at the level of detail that someone has gone to. You see the small things that people have done, that is the level of attention and care that you then know that someone has put into those issues. And that is often the difference between those people who excel in something, in whatever it is that they do, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's, for example, event organization, whether it's uh, holidays and hotels or flights or whatever it may be. When you get to the upper scale of things, when they start to look at the smaller details, that's essentially what it is that you see when it comes to the, uh, the luxury side of things, that the attention to detail that is given. And there is nothing more luxurious, nothing more comfortable, nothing more greater than, or nothing greater than the reward of Jannah that Allah Azza has prepared for the believers in the next life. And so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave to us a number of examples of that level of detail and that reward that Allah Azza has prepared for the Mu'minin in Jannah. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, as we mentioned last week, Allah Azza wa said, "Fiha sururum marfu'a." They will be therein raised couches. So people will recline upon couches, as we said, and they will be raised. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks now about the type of furnishings that the people of Jannah will receive. And at the same time, they will have cups that are placed at hand, meaning that they are lowered at hand, always ready and available for the people who wish to, who wish to take them and benefit from them. And so Allah places up high in Jannah that which people like to see from a greater vantage point, from a higher vantage point. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places at hand and close by and easy to reach those things that people don't like to have to put in a great deal of time and effort in order to attain. But they want those things to be at reach and easy to hand. And Allah then says, وَنَمَارِقُ masfufa," And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the people of Yawm Al-Qiyamah or the people of the of the, of the believers on Yawm Al-Qiyamah that they will have cushions set in rows and as we mentioned the meaning of cushions here is majalis that they will have places of sitting 
places that they can sit and gather upon and each one of them will be ready for wherever they wish to go and rest or sit and relax. And they will have carpets that are spread out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they will have rugs that they can walk upon that are extremely comfortable, extremely soft, that they are rugs that Allah will place for the people of Jannah wherever and wherever they wish to walk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in the verses that we're going to begin with this week, verses 17 onwards, Allah now speaks about a slightly different topic. And what Allah will do in the next four verses is speak about the signs uh, around us, the signs of the universe, the signs of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah will mention in each one of these four verses a sign. So four verses, four signs. Allah will speak about the camels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak about the heavens. Allah will speak about the mountains. And he will speak subhanahu wa ta'ala about the earth. The question here, therefore, is what is the connection between this, these verses and the previous verses that have preceded? So we started this surah, if you cast your mind back, uh, minds back a few weeks, we started this surah by mention of Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the Ghashiyah, the overwhelming, all-encompassing event that is Al-Ghashiyah. And then Allah began to speak about some of the details of that day, and in particular the punishment of the people of the fire, the reward of the people of Jannah. <coughs> So all of that, the previous 16 odd verses, all of them are connected and the connection between them seems very clear and very uh, very easy to make. But now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves away from that discussion and Allah will begin to mention the signs of creation and the signs of the universe. The question therefore is what is the link between these? What is the link between the previous topics and between the topic that inshallah ta'ala today we're going to, uh, we're going to make the tafsir concerning those verses? One position or, or one, uh, one of those connections rather is what is mentioned by the famous Tabi'i, the scholar of the Tabi'een by the name of Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala. Qatada, as we know, was from the great scholars of Tafsir, he's from the major scholars of Tafsir of his time, and he's also from the, uh, from the Tabi'een, from the scholars of the Tabi'een. He's not from the major or from the older Tabi'een, but he was someone who mentioned or met a number of the, or some of the younger companions. Uh, such as Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. And so Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that after Allah Azza wa finished describing Jannah, it is as if the people of misguidance were amazed by this. Meaning that Allah Azza wa mentions Jannah and its rewards in such detail. It's as if the people of shirk were amazed by this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to them, why are you so amazed? It's as if Allah Azza wa is saying in verses 17 onwards, why are you so amazed? by the reward of Allah in Jannah, do you not see the power of Allah around you? So it's as if they're amazed that the people of Jannah will have such and such a reward, that they will live in such and such a manner and that they will enjoy these blessings that Allah has prepared, as if it's beyond imagination, which it is, or beyond the, the scope of, of their ability to, to, to accept and comprehend. Allah is saying that just a sign, a small sign of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala's power in creation, his ability, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is something which you see all around you each and every single day. And that is why Allah Azza wa then started mentioning these four points that inshallah ta'ala we will speak about from verses 17 onwards. Al-Tahir uh, ibn Ashur, rahimahullah ta'ala, the scholar of tafsir, uh, he said in his tafsir that after Allah Azza wa mentioned the previous verses concerning the day of judgment and the situation of the people on that day, whether from the believers or the disbelievers, then Allah after speaking about the believers and the reason why 
or one of the major reasons as to why the people of the fire will go into the fire, the people of misguidance are misguided, one of the major reasons is because they turn away from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is saying to them, do you not see these signs around you that speak to the truthfulness and attest to the truthfulness of the speech meaning the Quran and Allah is right to be worshipped alone and the truthfulness of the message that has been brought by the Prophet So therefore look at these signs and use those signs to attain or to reach Tawheed. And this as we know before, uh, we have uh, mentioned before in passing and, and perhaps even in some detail, one of the greatest ways of increasing in Iman and one of the greatest ways of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or knowing the power of Allah and His abilities is to look throughout the creation of Allah in the universe. So to look and to reflect and to comprehend, it is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to do in multiple verses in the Quran. These verses from, are from amongst them in Surah Al-Ghashiyah. So how often does, how often does Allah tell us in the Quran that we should go and we should look, that we should travel and we should look and we should comprehend. أَفَلَمْ يَسِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Do they not travel upon the earth? And do they not see the end of those people who came before them? The very process or the very uh, very act of traveling and journeying from one land to another, from one place to another, means that you must pass by different types of terrain. You pass by mountains, you pass by oceans, you pass by seas, you pass by rivers and trees and forests. <coughs> you pass by animals, you see different types of wildlife, you see different types of birds, you see different types of people and their cultures and their cuisines and the different things that you experience as you travel. Even in our day today, even in our time today, people travel and they benefit from that travel in various ways. For the believer, for the mu'min, when they travel and when they go to these places, they're constantly looking at ways to connect this back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Constantly looking at ways of connecting what they see, the signs around them, back to the Iman in Allah And so when you're on a plane and you see the amazing clouds that you're flying through and you see the vast creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala laid before you, that is a sign that should connect you back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you are uh, going through a mountain or going past a mountain or you're driving through a mountain or you're trekking upon a mountain and you see what Allah has placed therein, that should be something which makes you amazed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you're watching a documentary on wildlife and you're hearing about the way these animals and the way that Allah has created them, the different skills and abilities that Allah has given to them and the different ways that they conduct their affairs, that is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you reflect even upon yourself and in your body and the way that Allah has created us as humans and the different ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed us to benefit from everything that is around us, that is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah often tells us to look and to see and to comprehend and to hear and to listen, all of these things so that we may see and understand these signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why it is reported concerning these particular verses in Surah Al-Ghashiyah, verses 17 onwards, that some of the Salaf, they would actually read these verses and then they would go and do as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded. From amongst the scholars that this is reported on is the famous scholar Shuraih, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that he would say, uh, He would read these verses and he would say, Let us now go out and look upon the camels and to see how they were created. Because Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in verse number 17, which is the first of these verses, 
do they not see how the camels were created uh, or how the how these camels were created so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the camels and so some of the scholars would say let us go and see in fact it is reported that some of them or some of the scholars of the past were blind and so they couldn't actually see so what they would go and do is that they would touch and feel the camel in order to be able to experience some of that which Allah Azza wa is referring to in this particular verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to reflect upon the camel. And uh, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza wa is, is as if he's addressing those who reject his power and his abilities that are mentioned within this surah from whether that be from the ability to punish the disbelievers or the ability to bless and to reward the believers. He says, do not the people who reject these types of issues or, or don't believe in these types of affairs, do they not look towards the camel, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it and how Allah azza wa jal made it something which is subservient to humans, that they can ride it and that they can use it to carry their goods and that they can travel upon it. Do they not reflect upon all of these things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to them and allow them to do. Uh, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala he said in his tafsir that the camel is an amazing uh, an amazing creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said it's amazing and you know the Arabs they call it the, the, the ships of the desert. right? So they call it the ships of the desert. The, the camel is an amazing animal, an amazing creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is suited to a climate where there is very little water, where the heat of the sun is extremely hard, where the terrain is very difficult to traverse because sand in a desert is not easy to walk upon. And the camel is, is designed and has been created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in such a way that it can navigate all of these challenges of that terrain and that weather and the long distances between water. And it is something which people can ride upon. It is something which people can use it to carry their uh, you know their possessions upon and it is something which they benefit from that other animals will not be able to last in that type of distance in those types of circumstances ibn kathir ta'ala said it is an amazing creation he said it is extremely tough the camel is a very strong and tough animal but at the same time it is extremely lenient or easy for the one who knows how to deal with the camel because camels can also become stubborn and they can have a, a you know a level of uh, of violence attached to them but someone who is well versed with camels and knows how to deal with them he said towards them they can be very subservient even a weak person if he knows what he's doing can ride a camel and can command a camel at the same time it can also be eaten it is from the halal food that Allah has made halal and it is something which it can be benefited from in terms of the milk that it gives and even as we know in some narrations the urine that it has as is mentioned in the hadith of Anas in Sahih al-Bukhari, another than Sahih al-Bukhari, that a group of people once came to the Prophet from outside of Medina and they apparently accepted Islam. But they said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, the climate of Medina doesn't suit us and we're becoming sick. So the Prophet told them to go to the outskirts of Medina where they would keep and graze the camels and the animals of Sadaqah. Because as you know from the Sadaqah and the Zakat that people can give is livestock. So for example, I own camels. My zakah will be paid in camels. You own sheep or cows, your zakah is paid in sheep and cows. Those animals, before they're distributed or before whatever is done with them in terms of their zakah distribution, they need a place to graze. 
because now they've been given away in zakah. It's not my property, I can't take them home. It's not your property, you can't take them home. But they need a place to graze their animals. And so they would have an area that was allocated by them. And the Prophet وسلم, would, uh, would assign to them shepherds, that area, and they would look after these animals. So the Prophet said to them, these people, go to that area where those camels are kept and drink from its milk and drink from its urine. From its milk and drink from its urine. And this is one of the evidences uh, to show the issue of the uh, droppings and the uh, excrement of the animals that are halal to eat and their droppings are also pure in the sense that it's not something which is najis, right? Even, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily eat it and so on and so forth, but it is pure in terms of uh, if it touches you or something, it is considered to be pure. The, but but in, in some cases, it is permissible to drink that urine as is mentioned in this particular hadith. Those people went and they not only uh, killed the shepherds of the Prophet wasallam, they stole those animals and they apostated and ran away and the Prophet wasallam sent companions to bring them back and he punished them <coughs> as is mentioned in those particular narrations. <coughs> Uh, so it is amazing in terms of its animals It is an animal that you can benefit from In terms of drinking from its milk Eating from its meat Using it in terms of your travel And so on and so forth And Allah Azza wa Jal Often in the Quran As the teacher of our teacher Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti Rahimahullah ta'ala Mentioned often in the Quran Allah Azza wa Jal refers to These animals Such as the cattle right? Animals referring to the cattle Allah Azza wa Jal refers to them as an am and there is a surah referred, uh, called after them, right? a surah named after cattle, called Surah Al-An'am. And Allah Azza throughout the Quran speaks about An'am in different ways and, and, and forms and, and in different contexts. An'am includes camels, because the cattle is camels and sheep and cows and goats. These are cattle animals. And so Allah, when Allah Azza says, وَالْأَنْعَامَ خَلَقَهَا لَكُمْ فِيهَا دِفْءٌ وَمَنَافِعٌ وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ That indeed Allah Azza created the cattle. From it is that which you use to warm yourselves from its skin and from its and, and, and so on. You use that stuff to warm yourself. People used to make clothes and, and coats and so on from the wool of sheep and so on. You use it to warm yourself. And there are many other benefits. And you also eat from it. And there are a number of verses that speak to this. So even if they don't speak about the camels in particular, it is something which Allah refers to in the general sense of camels, uh, of cattle rather. Uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin, rahimahullah ta'ala, Shinqiti, he said, but Allah Azzawajal refers to in this verse, in verse number 17, the camels specifically because of how familiar the Arabs were with regards to them. How familiar the Arabs were with regards to the camel. And because it is something which is very common to them, they would eat it, they would drink from its uh, from its milk, uh, they, would, they would use its skin uh, and hair, to, to, to benefit from in terms of their rugs and in terms of their clothing and in terms of their uh, furnishings and so on and because it's something which they would travel upon they would go upon and they would travel upon and we know that the Prophet himself had a camel that he would travel upon وسلم, and that his hajj part of it was uh, riding a camel that he even made tawaf وسلم, riding a camel around the Kaaba and so the camel is something which is known by the Arabs and it is used very commonly and very often by the Arabs. Uh, the Sheikh said, and it is more familiar to the Arabs and its signs are greater than the signs of horses or elephants. Because a horse isn't as familiar to the Arabs, nor does it have all of the properties of the camel. 
and likewise elephants or similar animals that people may use to ride upon or to travel upon in one way or another but in terms of the holistic scenario of benefiting from the milk and from the meat and from the skin and from the travel and, and everything there is nothing like what Allah has created in terms of the camel and so Allah says how the camel can travel and do what it is doing and what Allah created it for within it is a sign and in every single creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there is a sign every animal that Allah has created the plants that Allah has created the fish and the birds that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created everything within it there is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Allah says do these people not reflect not look upon the camel and the way that it was created does it not make them stop and think that the one who created this surely is worthy of worship subhanahu wa ta'ala all alone who else could have created such an amazing animal let alone all the other animals that are in existence besides it and so that shows in and of itself the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 18 Allah then goes on to the second sign and he says Allah says and how the heavens are lifted or how the heavens are raised high uh, in Sahih International and that sky how it is raised and Muhsin Khan and at the heaven how it is raised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that he has lifted the heavens raised the heavens above us to look upon them and to see them the heavens it is from the greatest signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah azza wa jal uh, or rather Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala says that Allah azza wa jal he says, do they, not, do, they not look up the, up, do they not look at the sky and the heavens, how they have been raised? How they have been raised and how Allah has placed within it a sign of his power and his ability, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah raised the heavens in a way that most of us cannot understand, right? or all of us cannot understand. Allah says in the Quran, in, in another place in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, they, that he raised them Allah raised the heavens without any pillars that you can see. Right? And the scholars of Tafsir, as we will mention, inshallah ta'ala, when we come to that particular verse, they differ as to the meaning of this, without pillars that can be seen. Does it mean that it doesn't have pillars? Right? As you can see, there's no pillars. Is that the meaning of the verse? Allah raised the sky without pillars, as you see, meaning that you can't see pillars, so therefore it is raised without pillars. Or is the meaning that there are pillars that raise the sky, but you do not see them, they are invisible to the naked eye. And both of those tafsir you will find amongst uh, the Salaf rahimahumullah ta'ala. But the point is either way, whether it is uh, raised without pillars or raised with pillars that are invisible to the naked eye, that Allah has, has kept away from our eyesight, either way it is from the greatest signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah has raised the sky. And the sky that we see you see, when you look up and you see that sky, that is not the heavens or above, because you can go above that, right? As people leave the atmosphere and they go towards space and so on. So Allah has placed a heaven even above that, and that is one of the seven heavens that Allah has prepared. As the Prophet experienced when he went on his night journey and he traveled through the heavens and he stopped at every single one of those levels of heaven. And it is above the seventh heaven above the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah azza wa has placed himself subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah azza wa has ascended above the throne above the seventh heaven 
in a manner which befits his majesty subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah has placed all of this as a sign. Every single one of this is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the vastness of the creation of Allah That is what the sky shows more than anything else, even more so than the earth. The earth in and of itself is a sign, but the earth is still limited because as we see in our time now in generations that we live in, you can go outside of the atmosphere and you can see all of the earth as a planet, as a, as a sphere. You can see all of it from one angle or another. The heaven is greater than the, the, the earth in terms of its creation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed the heaven as something which despite its greatness is still small in comparison to the other creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the hadith that indeed the example of the throne of Allah Azza wa Jal or the example, uh, the example of the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, compared to the uh, compared to the rest of creation is as if a person was to go to a middle of the desert and take off the ring that they wear upon their hand and to throw it therein. That's all it is in comparison to the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And let alone, so therefore, if that is the creation of Allah Azza wa Jal that is the throne, then what about everything else that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created on the day of judgment and all of the other creations of Allah Azza wa Jal that we don't even know of, that we're not familiar with? And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created all of this. And so Allah Azza wa Jal has given us these signs to see and to look upon and to and to understand the heavens within it. Uh, you see the stars and you see the moon and you see the sun and you see all of these other signs every time you look up from what is just a small part of what is the greater heaven and sky that Allah has raised high above us. And that is why the teacher of our teacher, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, as for the creation of the heavens and its raising, that Allah raised it without any visible pillars. And nor is it something which, which is difficult upon us to look upon, meaning that despite its vastness, despite its size, it is not something which we find difficult to see. All of these signs that Allah has given to us are signs that you can easily look upon and reflect upon. And they are signs for the most part that everyone is familiar with, irrespective of which part of the world that you live in or whatever it is that you are coming from. It is the place that people look upon, he said. Because how often every single day we go out, you will look towards the sky. You look towards the sky to see what the weather's like. You look towards the sky to see what time of day it is. You look towards the sky to see what time of month it is. Looking towards the lunar calendar and the sighting of the moon and the different phases of the moon. So we look at the sky constantly. And so Allah is saying, therefore, the one who created this sky and the one who raised these heavens, he is subhanahu wa ta'ala all uh, able Jalla Fi'ula and all powerful subhanahu wa ta'ala to do as he pleases and therefore he is also worthy of worship subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 19 Allah Azza wa Jal says وَإِلَى الْجِبَالِ كَيْفَ نُصِبَتْ how the mountains are raised high that's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim in the translation of Sahih International and that the mountains how they are erected Mufti Taqi and at the mountains how they are installed and Muhsin Khan and at the mountains how they are rooted and fixed firm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised the mountains. Something which is mansub is something which is put upright. Right? That is the meaning of the word mansub. 
Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that you could spend the whole day trying to climb a mountain. And when you got up to the mountain, to the top of the mountain, you would see perhaps there snow, or perhaps you would see streams and rivers gushing forth. All of this, everything that you would see from that vantage point when you look down upon, or from the, the, the top of the mountain, when you look down from the peak of the mountain, everything that you would then see upon the earth, it is from the greatest signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, is it the, the, and do they not look at the mountains and how they are raised high or erected or made firm? He said, the meaning of this is that the mountains are placed straight. They don't fall, they don't go to the right or to the left, they don't veer to one side or to another, but rather they are strong and they are firm and they are erected and they stay in their place and they do not they are not moved from that place that Allah Azzawajal has placed them except by His will, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti ta'ala, he said that the mountains are from that which you see all the time around you. And when you look upon the mountain, it is something which is amazing. And we're talking about like a big mountain. He says when you look upon something which is the mountain, it fills you with awe fills you with reverence, fills you with, uh, fills you with a sight that is so magnificent that it shows to you your own insignificance in comparison. And that mountain, if you were to climb upon it and to look down from it, then again you would see many things which would show to you the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His ability jalla fi ula. All of these signs, by the way, as we mentioned with, uh, with the camels, so whether it's the camels, whether it's the mountains or the earth or the heavens, all of these are signs that Allah repeats multiple times in the Qur'an. So Allah refers to each one of them as an ayah, as a sign. And it is a sign that is repeated in various places in the Qur'an, that people should look upon them and, to, and, to, uh, and, and people should contemplate over them and should reflect upon them and so on and so forth because they bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala he actually goes through some length in, in one of his works concerning the sign of the mountains. And um, he mentions it in some detail, which I thought it would be nice to go through, to just stop and ponder and reflect over the sign of the mountain. He doesn't do this for every single sign uh, in mentioned in Surah Al-Ghashiyah. Uh, and, you know, like if you were to go into some detail and to think about this, if, for example, someone was to actually research camels and in terms of the way that they are and the way that they work and their biology and their physiology and all of those different things that make up the camel and its benefits, I think that you could probably do, you know, like maybe even a lecture just on that topic. And likewise with the heavens, and likewise with the earth, and likewise with the mountains. So for our purpose, just so that we can understand when Allah is saying to us, do they not look and do they not see and do they not benefit? I thought that it would be nice uh, rather than, you know, just doing my own research or something. And just so that we don't make this you know, extraordinarily long by going off on tangents concerning each one of these signs, that we take one of those signs and because Imam Al-Qayyim did so in his own, um, in, in one of his works, I thought that it would be a nice thing to share with you. So Ibn Al-Qayyim essentially mentions the different benefits that we find from having mountains. So when Allah says, وَإِلَى الْجِبَالِ كَيْفَ نُصِبَتْ Do they not look towards the mountains and how they have been erected and made firm. He says that there are many benefits and signs that we can benefit from the mountains. He says from those benefits is the 
snow-capped mountains or the snow that you find upon the mountains. He says when the snow falls, it rests upon the peaks of the mountains. And from that snow, people will take water. They will take drink that will come from it because slowly that snow begins to melt. That melted snow uh, forms into streams and, and forms into water. And that is water that people benefit from and take from. And in fact, some of the you know the nicest water or the most expensive water or the one that's you know considered to have the most minerals, often you will find that they come from the mountains, from the Alps, and from you know all of these expensive brands of water that you can buy and that are expensive to purchase, usually come from these types of mountains. He says this is from the greatest benefits of the mountains. So from them you have springs, and from them you have these uh, rivers uh, that will bring. And, and, and will we'll come down uh, the sides of these mountains. He says, then from that water that comes down those streams and those springs and those rivers, he says that you have a wide variety of plantation and vegetation, of fruits that also grow as a result of that water and as a result of the unique properties of the mountain and the rocks that are, that are there. That rock, that soil mixed with that water that is coming, it is unique in its properties and therefore what you have growing is also something which is which is uh, which is unique. He says that is something which people covet, something which people like, something which people like to see and to drink from. So when you go and you feel the freshness of that water, you drink from it and you taste the purity of that water, as we know, because they make a lot of money from this now, it is something which is extremely uh, desirable. And obviously Ibn Qayyim is some seven, eight hundred years ago at a time before perhaps people were bottling and selling that type of water. He says, so that is one benefit. He says, from the benefits of mountains is then what is found within those mountains of caves and crevices and those different types of people, places where people can go and they can rest or they can seek shelter. And the animals go and they seek shelter and the birds go and they seek shelter. And how many animals and birds make their nests or make their homes within mountains. He says, from the benefits of mountains also is the rocks of those mountains, the stones that we take from them, that we use in a wide variety of construction. Stones that you use for a wide variety of building material from that stone, that is something which people benefit from. He says also from the benefits of those mountains is the minerals uh, and the precious stones that are found within them. So for example, gold and silver and copper and steel or iron and all of these different types of minerals and different types of, of stones that are found within, within the and metals that are found within the mountains, he said that is something which also people benefit from. And we know now, you know, copper, bronze, zinc, all of these things that people are benefiting from and that we use at a massive scale across the world. They are literally taken from those mountains and they are mined and those mountains are, are broken down and people mine from them. Even in, in, for example, in the UK, until you know, only perhaps maybe 50, 60 years ago, things like coal, they go down to the mountains. That's where you get coal from. So people dig in, they mine, they go down, and they dig there, and they take the copper, they take the iron ore, they take whatever it is that they need to benefit from, and they extract that and they benefit from it. And Ibn Qayyim says, the benefit of some of those things, or the price of some of those things, or the money that those things cost, or, or, or the value that those things are worth, is immense even during the time that he is referring to. He says, and then from the benefits uh, of 
the mountain is that it protects people. It is a protection from people because of the mountain's buffeting weather systems and buffeting, for example, from severe winds or from severe rain or from severe snow. Certain mountains act as a barrier for the people that live on one side or the other from certain weather systems. And this is something which Ibn, Ibn Qayyim ta'ala, was aware of of that time. And even till now, there are certain places or at certain times, even in the most difficult situation or in the most difficult uh, seasons of weather, there are times where you will have a, uh, a time when the weather, weather becomes milder because of the way uh, that it works around that time. So I remember uh, when I was in Alberta, if you go to Alberta in Canada, uh, they have something which is called, uh, and someone can correct me just in case I got this wrong, I, I know we have some Canadians with us, um, I think it's called the Chinook, if I remember correctly. But I've been to Canada, Western Canada, so Alberta and that side, Edmonton, Calgary and so on. I've been there in the depths of winter, where the temperature can go down to like minus 30, minus 35 degrees Celsius I'm talking about. So it's extremely cold. Uh, but also I've been there in the middle of winter, and especially in Calgary this is, I don't know if it's elsewhere, but in Calgary, and I go there and it's actually mild. Like it's, it's still cold because it's winter, but it's mild compared to what they normally get. And even this, the, the sun can come out and, and some of that snow starts to melt and so on. And that's because they have a weather system called the Chinook because the uh, Calgary and these places are next to the Rocky Mountain Range, the mountain range of the Rockies. And so that shelters the weather somehow or it provides for some type of weather phenomenon called a Chinook, which actually makes weather mild for a period of time. And then I think it gets cold again. And if you were to go over the other side, further west, past the Rockies, and you go to British Columbia, where you have Vancouver and these places, even though it's still Canada, it is milder there in terms of the temperature and in terms of the snowstorms and so on, than elsewhere in Canada, again, because of the way the Rockies shelter uh, the weather system. Something, so, you know, I'm sure there's a better explanation than what I just gave and perhaps a more technical one that someone can find. But that is the case. And so what Ibn Qayyim is saying, that that is from the... Uh, greatest benefits of the mountains that Allah has placed. From the benefits of mountains, he said also, is that they pre prevent and protect people from flooding. Because sometimes a mountain, uh, and, and this is subhanAllah, something which is amazing about all of the creation of Allah what, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can use of his creation as a means of of, of uh, blessing and a means of, of, of help and, and, and a source of blessing can at the same time also then become a source of punishment. He says that the mountains can prevent flooding in the sense that the mountain will dissipate the water, will make it go through different rivets and different streams. And so the water that comes, rather than it all coming down from one place, it can go to different places and it can go right and left. And so therefore, rather than it just coming into a single kind of like flood, it is dissipated and it is diverted throughout the mountain in its different ways. But obviously sometimes the opposite works. Sometimes that mountain actually makes all of the water go down into the valley, all into one place, and therefore it becomes a place where people can get extreme flooding. And so Allah uses his creation as he pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that is from the blessing. He said from the signs or from the benefits of mountains also, is that there are signs that people use in their travel and signs that people use as landmarks. So just as the stars are the landmarks of the sky, he says, then likewise the landmarks of the earth are its mountains. That people know their place upon their land 
depending upon those mountains. And there is, you know, rarely a country or rarely an area except that it has, uh, you know, elevated land and land that is lowered. And they have hills and they have mountains in most places. In the UK, we have our mountains. I know in most countries in the world, in some place or another, they will have some type of mountain range. And so he says that people use this as a way of understanding where it is that they will uh, that they are in terms of their landmarks and where they will be. Uh, he says also from the benefits of the mountains is the valleys that the mountains uh, the valley of the mountain that you get so the mountain valleys that you get he said ta'ala, that the sand or the soil of those valleys along with the water that comes down into them makes for vegetation and plants and fruits that you don't get anywhere else and he says that from those plants there are many benefits many benefits in terms of the plants and the trees that grow within those mountain valleys he said and also from the benefits of them is that people use mountains as fortresses people build upon mountains and they build their fortresses upon them because it is something which is a natural barrier it's a natural protection if you have the higher ground and you command that area and you plan your fortress or your castle there it is something which becomes a fortress and something which uh, people use in terms of their defensive positions. That is also from the benefits that are mentioned. And from the benefits, he says, is that which Allah mentions concerning the mountains in the Quran. That Allah has placed them like pegs to make the, um, the to make the earth firm. And that it is something which Allah has made from the signs of people. That they will, uh, that they see that these mountains are firm and they have made the earth firm as a result. Uh, and he goes into a lot of detail concerning this, but uh, you know, just like I'm just going through the uh, the headline points rather than going into each and every single one of those details. Uh, but he says that from the benefits or from the the signs of the mountains is that it is something which pleases Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and he fears Allah Azza Wa Jal, and it does the command of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And Ibn Qayyim Taala says there are many benefits of mountains, and this can be the same of you know, we can say the same concerning the camels and the and the heavens and the earth. Many benefits that we would never know. That Allah has created and placed therein that we don't understand, that we don't know. That that is beyond our ability to and our knowledge to comprehend. And only Allah knows its true extent and its true reality. But he says that from the signs or from the things that we know about the mountains that Allah mentions in a number of places in the Quran is that the mountain remembers Allah. And it fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it praises Allah azza wa jal. And it, is, it does the bidding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says that the mountain is mentioned numerous times in the Quran. In the stories of prophets and other than prophets to speak about the benefits or to speak about some of the things that we have mentioned. And how the mountain is something which is mentioned in numerous places in the Quran. So for example he says that the Prophet Musa alayhi salatu salam spoke to Allah azza wa jal upon the mountain of At-Tur as we know that he went to the mountain and he saw the fire and he said to his family stay here i will go and i will see what this fire is and i will bring back to you its news and so that is where he goes alayhi salatu wasalam the prophet musa and that is where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to him from the mountains that allah azawajal mentions also concerning the story of musa alayhi salam is the mountain that allah azawajal revealed to it a very small portion of himself subhanahu wa ta'ala and it was rendered asunder, that it fell or that it collapsed or that it turned into dust, as is mentioned in 
the Quran that Allah Azza wa Jal says, فَلَمَّا تَجَلَّ رَبُّهُ لِلْجَبَلِ جَعْلَهُ دَكَّةً وَخَرَّ مُوسَى صَعِقًا When Allah Azza wa Jal revealed himself to the mountain, it turned into dust and Musa fell unconscious. From the mountains that are mentioned in our religion is the mountain that was beloved to Allah and beloved to his Prophet and beloved to his companions, meaning the mountain of Uhud. As the Prophet said, as mentioned in the hadith of Sahih Bukhari, that often when he would come into Medina and he would see the mountain of Uhud, he would say, I think it's mentioned in the hadith of Anas, he would say, Uhud is a mountain that loves us and we love it. And from them is the mountain that the Prophet sought. Uh, sought, uh, sought seclusion upon in the cave of Hira when the Prophet would go and he would seclude himself in the cave of Hira a cave would be in a mountain and that cave the Prophet would go to before he received revelation to seclude himself and to ponder about his purpose in life and to worship Allah in what he understood at that time and that is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him revelation and from those mountains is the cave that the Prophet and Abu Bakr sought shelter in during the Hijrah, the mountain of Thawr, when they went into that cave and they sought shelter there for a number of nights before they continued and proceeded with their journey towards Mecca. And Ibn Qayyim says, and from those mountains are the two mountains that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made from amongst the signs of his religion. As Allah says, Inna Safa wal Marwata min that indeed Safa and Marwa are from the signs of Allah Azza wa from the signs of this religion that the people still go to and make Sa'i between and they walk between those two mountains that Allah Azza wa has placed as a sign. And from those mountains is the mountain of Ar-Rahmah, the Mount of Mercy that you find on the plain of Arafah that the people go to and they uh, use till today as a landmark, a place that they will go and they will stand on the day of Arafah as they perform Hajj and they will beseech Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, how many people and how many du'as and how much istighfar has been made in and around that mountain in Arafah and how many sins has Allah Azzawajal forgiven and how many du'as has he accepted and how many sins has he expiated and how many blessings has he bestowed and how much good has come during or in that place that is surrounding that mountain because you know that the Prophet وسلم, even though you don't have to go to the mountain that is the place that he chose to go towards and stand on the day of Arafah and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore mentions a number of mountains and there are probably other mountains that Ibn Qayyim ta'ala doesn't mention uh, but the point of this is uh, that Ibn Qayyim ta'ala he's saying that the mountain if you were to just stop and reflect upon this you would see subhanAllah how many signs there are in the mountains of Allah and one of the beauties of reading the works of Ibn Qayyim is you see a person that Allah blessed and gave him the ability to truly contemplate this religion and that is a sign of love inshallah for this great scholar from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because all of us were aware of everything that I just mentioned in terms of the benefits of the mountains and the way that the, the, the mountains are mentioned throughout the Quran in the life of the Prophet uh, however, Ibn Qayyim has that ability that Allah gave to him to connect those dots and to mention them in his works. He is often someone who you will find in his contemplations and reflections. Reflections and contemplations that are based on Quran and Sunnah, but also that are extremely uh, powerful in, in the observations that he makes. And there are, as we said, other mountains that perhaps are not mentioned. 
by Ibn Qayyim. So for example, the people of the cave went into a cave and that cave was in a mountain. That's another example that we can give and so on and so forth. There are perhaps others that we, uh, you know, that we don't really have the time to go into. But if we were to think and we were to, um, you know, to look at this, then it's something which you would find. And, you know, some of those mountains, as Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala said, are attached, the people's hearts are attached to, like the mountain of Hira and the mountain of Thawr. And the, you know, even till today, people go for Hajj and they go and they look at those mountains and they go to them and they, you know, people climb them and they do all sorts. And the, the mountain in Arafah and the mountains of Safa and Marwa, these are parts of our religion, places, landmarks that Allah has placed in terms of this religion. In verse number 20, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions the fourth sign, and that is the earth. Allah says, How the earth is spread out, or how the earth is leveled out. So the fourth sign that Allah gives to us is the earth. Ali radiallahu anhu used to um, recite these verses. It is his recitation, and it's a shahd recitation, therefore, which we don't read anymore. Uh, but it is his recitation that he would make them in the first person. So he would say, أَفَلَا يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَى الْإِبِلِ كَيْفَ خَلَقْتُ وَإِلَى السَّمَاعِ كَيْفَ رَفَعْتُ وَإِلَى الْجِبَالِ كَيْفَ نَصَبْتُ وَإِلَى الْأَرْضِ كَيْفَ سَطَحْتُ That he would say in the first person, Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying, do they not look at the camel, uh, how I created it, the heavens, how I raised it, the mountains, how I made them firm, the earth, how I spread it, referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no doubt, uh, it is Allah Azza wa Jal who did all of this. Qatada Ta'ala said that the word Sutihat means that Allah Azza wa Jal spread out the earth. So it is not the one who spread out the earth and is not the one who did all of this, he says, able to create that which he created within Jannah. And Imam Tabari Ta'ala said something very similar that Allah Azza wa Jal has placed the earth and he has spread it out. Allah Azza wa Jal flattened the earth and he spread it out. And it is something, therefore, which is wide and expansive, and something that you can, you know, you can, uh, you can enjoy and benefit from, because were it to be crowded, or it to be small, and the people were all stuck in one land together or one place together, it would have been very extremely, or it would have been extremely difficult to reside upon. But Allah has just spread it out, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala leveled it so that the people may benefit from it. And in that leveling, you see different types of terrain different types of soil, different types of, 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 uh, of temperatures and climates and so on and so forth. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti said that the earth is always a constant sign. Every time you go out, you see the earth around you. And the Sheikh said that Allah says that he spread it out, that even though we know that the sign, that the earth is a sphere, right, that the earth is round, even though we know this, but when you walk or when you come out, all you see is that the earth is flat before you. Meaning you don't see the curvature of the earth. So if you were to walk from here all the way to London, or you were to walk from you know one part of the US all the way to the other part of the US, as people do, people walk from here, they go by foot all the way to Hajj. Right? And people have done so for, as we know, hundreds of years, walk from one side of the earth to the other in order to perform pilgrimage or to travel or to do what it is that they're doing. They don't see the curvature of the earth. They don't come to a point where they think, oh, if I keep walking over there, I'm going to fall off, or it's going to stop, or it's going to be the end of the earth. That is how Allah Azza wa has made the earth flat. That even though we know that it is round, the way that it has been made out is as if it is level. That you can continue to walk, and to you it would seem that it is level, even though you have walked from one place to another, 
and it has curved. There is a curvature there, but it is so small or so, uh, you know, so subtle that it's not something which is visible to the naked eye in the way that you walk. And so Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin says, Ta'ala, that this is from the great signs of Allah Azza wa Jal and the great signs that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala has placed before us. So Allah Azza wa Jal gives to us these four signs that he says that people should reflect upon. That if you want to see the ability of Allah Azza wa Jal and his power, reflect upon the signs around you. And they will bring you closer to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala and they will give you the firm knowledge that therefore Allah Azza wa Jal can create more and can create that which is greater than even that which you see before you. And that is why, inshallah ta'ala, in the verses that we will uh, take next week, and inshallah ta'ala, I think next week we'll probably conclude uh, the tafsir of this surah. Allah Azza then tells and commands the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in verse number 21 to warn. And he says to them, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُذَكِّرْ So warn them, for indeed, that is your task, to warn or to remind. Remind them, for indeed you are the one who reminds. And so Allah Azza wa gives to us these signs as a reminder so that we may reflect upon them and use them as a way to come closer to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So inshallah ta'ala with that we will conclude today. If anyone has any any questions or any comments then inshallah ta'ala please, um, please uh, put them onto the chat and if not then inshallah ta'ala we will conclude until uh, next week bithillahi ta'ala. Okay, so if there's no questions, bidnillah, then we will conclude. Barakallahu fikum. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.